You are listening to the sermon podcast of International Lutheran Church in Seoul, South Korea. I'm Pastor Chuck Hoffman. ago I got pretty addicted to a website called YouTube. Maybe some of you have heard of that before. Uh, That website has really changed a lot over the years. It used to be a collection of clips from television and maybe a few viral videos like a cat, you know, like walking across the pool or something like that, falling in the water, jumping out, uh, stuff that really was not very important. Uh, But it's not like that anymore. Since technology has changed so much, now people have GoPro cameras and they have uh, cell phones that can take HD video and people can buy drones even with cameras on them. And so now individuals, everyday people like you and me, are producing really amazing content, really, really high quality videos that rival the things that you see on television. And uh, some of these individuals have really great personalities. They're really winsome. They're really, uh, uh, they have interesting things to talk about. They have interesting things going on in their lives. So I've followed a few channels, a few people subscribe to watch their videos. One of the channels that I stumbled across was a channel called Why We Sail. It was someone who Uh, really likes to sail on his sailboat. And uh, this man was an older man, retired, maybe around 70 or or so years old. His name is Christian Williams. And uh, he uh, has been sailing all his life. He grew up on Long Island in New York, and his father came back from World War II and bought a boat. And then his whole life, he's uh, learned sailing. In one of the videos, uh, Christian, this man, he sails solo on his 30-foot Ericsson 1984 sailboat. He sails solo from Los Angeles to Hawaii and then back from Hawaii to Los Angeles. That's a very long way to go alone in a boat. And uh, he boiled the whole week-long trip, or two weeks maybe, down to just 20 minutes of video. And uh, that's okay, that would be an okay video, but what made it really special was his narration. Uh, He would speak in this kind of calm and fatherly voice, and he would calmly deal with each situation that would arise, and he added some humor and lots of expertise. It turned out that he was very well-read in the classics, uh, Greek philosophers, Roman philosophers, so he chooses his words very carefully. He's a man of the humanities. He's a thinker. He's the kind of guy who would stock that boat with books more than with food. One reviewer called him a wordsmith, and I had to agree with that assessment. And it turned out that I found out later from another one of his videos that he was retired from being an editor at the Washington Post. That was his career, and now he's spending his time out on the ocean uh, sailing. From his videos, I learned something. I learned why someone would want to sail. Why would you want to sail when the the technology has actually moved forward, right? We have these things called motorboats. Uh, They're faster. They're more reliable. 
you can uh, get to where you're going much more quickly and you don't have to have nearly as much skill to just you know pull a cord and the motor goes and then there goes your boat so why would you use wind and sail when you can just pour gas and turn on the motor and go I think the reason is because the fastest way is not always the best way or another way of putting it is guaranteed success is not as rewarding as guaranteed challenges to overcome so why sail I think the people that do that they sail for the challenge of it for the adventure of it then I got thinking why preach the gospel why go to countries or to peoples that are over and over resistant to the gospel missionary agencies like my own sending agency they they have to make decisions how are they going to spend their mission donations there's a limited amount you have to decide where are you going to send people some missionaries have gone to Africa especially sub-saharan Africa and they've ended up with huge harvests they've baptized hundreds sometimes even thousands success missionaries who go to Japan or to Thailand run into a brick wall every time over and over Japan is 1% Christian and it is not growing Thailand is so deeply Buddhist and that Buddhism is so deeply interwoven with their national identity and with their cultural identity that Christianity just bounces off like rain off of a raincoat why send missionaries why continue to preach the gospel why do it when there are much easier places to go well God sent Ezekiel he had already sent Isaiah to the uh, northern kingdom of Israel to convince them to repent, and he failed. And those people were overrun and carried off to a foreign empire called Assyria. Then God sent Jeremiah to Jerusalem, to the southern kingdom, to Judah. Tried to convince them to repent, and they refused and they were overrun and they were carried off to a foreign empire called Babylon. And now God sends Ezekiel to those who were carried away to this foreign land. So why keep trying? They, they are, they're just not going to listen. God even says as much. Let's look again at the Old Testament reading. Ezekiel. I'm going to read the fourth and the fifth verse. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn I send you to them and you shall say to them thus says the Lord and whether they hear or refuse to hear for they are a rebellious house they will know that a prophet has been among them God shows up whether or not people are going to respond to the call Jesus showed up in his hometown, even though he knew he would be rejected. The miracles stopped flowing as people closed off their hearts. 
they were offended at Jesus. They could not accept him. The reaction of Jesus' hometown reminds me, in some ways, of the reaction of cultures that have a long history of Christianity. In some ways, these places are like a hometown to Jesus. I'm speaking of Europe. I'm speaking of North America. With centuries of Christian history, these places think they know Jesus. They kind of feel like they watched him grow up. And these are the places that are most offended at times by the concept of Jesus, who is both God and man. These are places that experience few miracles as they start to close their hearts off to this offensive Jesus. I was offended by Jesus at one time. I can remember as a first-year college student, my roommate, he happened to be Korean and also a non-Christian. He invited two uh, Christian students to come to our dorm room to share the gospel. I said, you invited those guys into our room? What are you thinking? And uh, I hurriedly cleaned up my dirty socks, put them into the laundry. But as soon as those two guys arrived, I was out the door. I got to go to class, I said, and I huffed my way out. I was offended. Don't talk to me about Jesus. Later, after I became a Christian, I then experienced this same sort of reaction from other people. I worked for a few months at a Christian bookstore. We had lots of recordings of music, CDs, cassette tapes, that sort of thing. And this uh, music teacher came into our store. He was looking for a recording of a song, Ezekiel Cried Them Dry Bones. He thought maybe the song would be there. He wanted to use it in his music class at school. And I, I brought him, I, I showed him, I think it's on, this, uh, it's on this CD, you can purchase this. And I mentioned, I said, that song is based on the Valley of Dry Bones from the book of Ezekiel in the Bible. He said, that song is from the Bible? I can't use that song I teach at a public school. I can't have these kids singing a song that's religious. Now, of course, the teacher was wrong. That's actually not true. Of course you can. You'd have to stop singing Bach. You'd have to stop singing almost everything if you thought that you cannot sing a religious song in an American public school. So he was wrong on that account. But I have to think that his reaction wasn't just about uh, separation of church and state. His reaction was some kind of personal offense at the gospel. I contrast this from when I moved to Taiwan, and I was teaching in a Taiwanese public school at one time, teaching English. And around Christmas time, I, I would share the, not just the cultural aspect of Christianity, but the true religious meaning of Christmas. Uh, every Christmas, so I kind of talk about Jesus was born, and he's the savior of the world, and he died for your sins. And this was in public school, and no one was upset. No one was offended that I would do this, that I would share the meaning of this holiday. The villagers in Nazareth, they cannot accept Jesus as a teacher because of their history with him. They saw him grow up. They remember when he was a little boy. 
I remember seeing him work as a carpenter. And now I think in Western cultures that have the longest history with Christianity, they're kind of the quickest also to reject his authority. Say, no, you know, I believe in God, but you can kind of hold back on this gospel thing, this exclusive truth thing. So why keep trying? Why preach? God said so that they would know that there was a prophet here. Whether or not they accept it. Whether or not they reject it. So I have had to, over the years of serving God, had to recalibrate my understanding of success. The business world, for example, operates on numbers. They're very exact. Quarterly reports. Profit margins. Cost per unit. Sales growth. You can measure those things. The kingdom of God is different. God may call you to serve a church that just has 10 people worshiping on Sunday morning. Success in that church might be one baptism in 10 years. I served a church like that for two years in Taiwan. Every Sunday, about 10 people would come for worship. Five of those were the pastor, his wife, and his three children. We felt like we were bursting at the seams when 15 people would come on a Sunday morning. That was also around the time of the SARS epidemic that hit Taiwan and hit Hong Kong very very badly. Uh, Many people died. So every Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock, me and the pastor and his family, we would meet at the church for a prayer meeting. We would pray for one hour, and then we did the same thing every single Sunday. We would Uh, gather each of the wooden foldable chairs and we would take some alcohol and we would wipe down every single chair thoroughly for fear of this SARS disease that had wreaked so much havoc. For two years, every single Saturday afternoon, I rubbed down 10 or 15 uh, wooden foldable chairs with rubbing alcohol. And I started to get tired of doing that. I thought, what are we doing? What am I doing? Here I am rubbing down these chairs for two years for this church of ten people. Well, that's the kingdom of God. That's where you're called to serve. So you serve. And that church is as much of a success as a church of 100 or 1,000 or 10,000. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them, says the Lord. Jesus has promised to be present among us. So why go and preach in Japan if only two or three respond? Because that is success. That is the kingdom of God. Paul talks about, in this letter, he talks about how uh, his weakness is where Christ is allowed to be strong. You know, he had big reasons to boast. If you're reading that letter closely, he talks about he saw heaven firsthand. That's kind of cool. But instead, he focuses on his limitations. The stuff that drove him to rely on Christ instead of on himself. And Paul never saw success on a large scale in human terms. 
He never had a mega church that he was a pastor of. Every town, every city that he went to, he would work for six months or a year or two or three years. And he'd be lucky if they had 24 people or or 36 people in their church. Then he'd move on to the next place. He never saw big, massive numbers. And yet, the seed that was planted during his ministry, 250 years later, saw the entire Roman Empire come into the Christian fold. See, so God operates on a different time frame in sight. We always see things in years or in decades, while God views the whole sweep of history all at the same time. Something can look like a failure to us when viewed on the level of years or decades, but it is different when viewed from God's eyes. In all of this, We are searching for God in things that look like a failure. Did Jesus fail in Nazareth? Did Paul fail when he prayed three times for the thorn to be removed and it was not? Do missionaries to Japan or Thailand or to many other countries, do they fail if they're there for decades and only baptize a few people? No. Because God is different. Why sail? Why use the wind when you can use a motor? Maybe because the wind is supplied by God and you can't predict which way it's going to go. Why preach when you're not sure it's going to be accepted? Because we are not the ones who create faith. It is the Holy Spirit. Ruach, Yahweh which means the wind of God. That's the name of the Holy Spirit. We don't know which way he's going to blow. We don't know what he's going to do in people's hearts. It's just our job to heed the call and share that seed, preach the gospel, and then watch God work. He may not work in the numbers or in the time frame that we as humans consider successful, But that's not for us to say. We just go. We share. We heed that call. Just like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. We go and we tell. So that at least they know that there was a prophet among them. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.